What's up, everybody? Welcome back. I'm your host, Alex Hillman. This is another episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. And today, I've got some stories for you, some really great stories that I'm hoping we're going to teach a really valuable lesson about bringing people onto your team. I'm going to describe three scenarios. And as you're listening to each of these scenarios, I want you to be thinking about what it is that they have in common. First, I want to introduce you to Lindsay. Lindsay works for a small creative firm here in Philadelphia. She's a member of Indie Hall and has been for quite a while, but the team she works for actually works full-time from a completely different co-working space in Philadelphia. Lindsay came to me recently with a question about bringing on a new team member and wanted to know if I had any advice for her. Her team members had been suggesting that she put together something like a two-month onboarding plan so that they knew what this new team member would be doing. But Lindsay found this overwhelming and didn't even know how she would figure out what this person would be doing for an entire two months. So she was wondering how I'd done anything similar in the past. In this second scenario, I want to introduce you to Danny. Danny runs what I believe is a truly great co-working space. It's got an awesome community. In the last year, they've expanded, added a second location, and have still kept the community growing strong. But he's making some long-term plans in his personal life that include moving overseas for a while, maybe as long as a year or two. But his co-working space is going so great, and he doesn't want to have to shut it down. So he's thinking about how to keep it running while he's away for long periods of time. Rather than going the normal hiring route, he's thinking about turning to his community to first build out a program that gives his members more ways to get involved in the daily operations and really see if he can have the community run the ship with his guidance from afar. But the task itself is still pretty daunting. There's a big difference between being a member of a co-working space who proactively cares for the space and it's suddenly turning into something that feels more like a job. Danny wants to carefully avoid the latter version of the scenario. And third, I want to introduce you to Max. Max started a co-working space of his own after being a member of another one on the other side of the country. Max is thinking about the long-term sustainability of his co-working space, but in a little bit of a different way. He's already tried all sorts of ways of bringing new people onto his team, and has been struggling most specifically with how those people sell memberships. From his perspective, he hasn't been able to get any of his community managers to really take ownership of the role, and one of the negative results of that is that less people who take tours from those community managers decide to become members. So he's wondering, should he hire people with more experience with sales, or does he need to be doing something else differently? So what do all three of these scenarios have in common? Well, the thing that really stands out to me is the idea of onboarding. Onboarding is such a silly word. If you really think about it, it's one of those holdover terms from corporate speak that sort of worked its way into the rest of our lives. What do you think about when you think of onboarding? I think of paperwork and meetings and procedures and all kinds of other stuff that I don't really look forward to. And I think that's because worst of all, onboarding is usually something that's done to you or you're doing to someone else. Like that example with Lindsay. It was her teammate's idea, presuming really her boss's idea, to map out a two-month plan for onboarding a new team member. Now, on one hand, it's not only overwhelming for Lindsay, but it's also a lot of wasted effort. How quickly is that two-month plan going to become inaccurate? My guess, from my experience, is it's going to be inaccurate before she's even done creating it. But on the other hand, there's something much worse. You're sending a really complicated signal about how you expect the new person who's joining your team to interact. You're saying, 
I'm not sure I trust you to know how to do the job you were hired to do. I have to map it all out for you. You're saying, when I say jump, I expect you to say how high. It's really sort of an old school managerial thought process. And to that end, the most you're ever going to get out of that team member is exactly what you ask them to do, which I think is precisely why so many onboarding processes are broken. About 18 months after Indie Hall opened, I found myself needing to hire help for the first time. I'll be the first to admit that I was dangerously close to burnout by the time I had this realization, but I think that's a conversation for another day. Today, I want to tell the story of how I learned to bring new members onto our team in a more effective way. So about 18 months into Indie Hall being open, I've got what I realized actually now in hindsight was two very different problems. The first one was related to sort of my daily to-do list, the things I was doing related to Indie Hall that included things that I needed to do, things that were really specialized to my strengths. And uh, a lot of those things I was having a hard time getting to because the other category of to-dos were things that needed doing. And if somebody else didn't get to it, I would I would just jump on it. And anyone who runs a co-working space knows what those things are. Those could be lots of little things like you know needing to order more coffee or somebody dropping by for a tour. Little things that just sort of pop up throughout the day. And anyone with a bit of thoughtfulness would be able to do those things, but they were just sort of falling on my shoulders. The problem was I wasn't sure how to hire somebody to do those things. I'd actually never hired anybody before. I had collaborated and consulted, but the idea of hiring somebody to do things that previously I had done was really something very new to me. Looking sort of down the barrel of that gun, I thought, what is it that I, I need to do in order to solve this problem? And honestly, I need to do it fast because I'm, I'm approaching burnout. And uh, thankfully, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine whose name was Dana Vachon. Uh, and I'd known Dana actually through the, the early founding of Indie Hall. We had a bunch of mutual friends. And I knew that Indie Hall was something that she wanted to be a part of. She was about to graduate from college and did not really know exactly what she wanted to do with her life. Uh, with her degree, uh, but she did know that whatever it was, she wanted it to be something like Indie Hall. Meanwhile, I needed somebody to help me do the things that I do, but that also wasn't going to be a full-time position, you know, uh, sort of filling in all of those gaps. I didn't know exactly how much time it was going to take, but I was fairly confident that to create a full-time position really didn't make a whole lot of sense. So I said to Dana, what if there was a way that after graduation you'd be able to spend your days at Indie Hall? And she's like, oh, yeah, that would be great. How, how are we going to do that? I, you know, I need to get a job and then think about affording Indie Hall. I said, well, what if being at Indie Hall was a part of your job? And she said, well, what, what do you mean? And I said, you know, the thing is, is I've got this list of things that need doing every day and I don't think I need to be the one doing them. I'm, I've seen you work. I've seen... You organize art shows. I've seen you organize big projects with your fellow students. And uh, I, I believe that you're responsible and creative and can do these things. And not that I'm looking for you to do the things the exact same way that I would, but I know you know how to solve problems. I know, how you know, I know that you know how to get things done. And that's really what I'm looking for. But here's the thing. I'm not sure that's a full-time job. So here's how I want to approach it. Let's start by you planning to come in during, you know, our business hours and spend your days at Indie Hall. And instead of me setting up your schedule and saying, here are the things you need to do, because frankly, I'm not even sure what those things are right now. Why don't you shadow me? We'll spend the first few weeks with you 
really living as close to me and my work as possible. And your job is to figure out what things I do that don't need to be me. Your job is to watch what I do and say, Alex, I can do that. Let me take that away from you. And you might need to take some of those things away by force. There are things that I love to do that simply don't need to be me. And because I do them instinctively and habitually, I'm not getting to the more important things, the things that are going to help Indie Hall grow, the things that are going to help my other projects succeed. And you can take those things off my plate. Now, I don't think those things are going to add up to full-time anytime soon. So with the remainder of the time, you have the ability to do really anything you want. See, you're surrounded by all of these other people that have figured out how to make their own way. And my hope is that you would learn by watching them, by being surrounded by them, how to do something of your own as well. So, yeah, there's going to be some time each week where you're working on things to help make Indie Hall better and looking for new ways to make Indie Hall better and bringing those ideas to me and saying, hey, I can do this. I want to do this. Let me try doing this. And ultimately, I want to be able to say yes to as many of those things as possible. So if you're game, let's start there and see how things go. Well, the good news is this. Dana said yes. Danny was able to take all kinds of things off of my plate. And the thing that I didn't even realize was how many things I was doing. So many of the little things that happened in my day that seemed inconsequential that were adding up to really a giant chunk of my time, she was able to take off my plate. And in most cases, not just replicate what I was doing, but find ways to improve them. Now, the position that we ended up creating has now been through several generations. Adam, who you've heard on this podcast several times before, is only one of the most recent generations of what we call the den mother position. And since Adam's in it, you can tell that's not a gendered position. But the idea of the position over the course of what's now been the better part of seven or eight years hasn't changed. The goal of the position, and when we bring a new person on, is to make it clear to them that yes, there's sort of a to-do list of things to do. But instead of writing it out on a piece of paper for you to go down like a checklist, the way you're going to learn is by collaborating with the person who currently does it. Working alongside of them and saying, hey, I can add to this process. I can make this better. And perhaps I can even do this better than you can. And that takes an element of egolessness of the person who's trying to onboard the new person which is maybe why it shouldn't be thought of as onboarding at all. But it's definitely a process that's more collaborative. It requires trust. It requires the new member and the person who's bringing them on to listen to each other and actually want to help each other. And the best part about this process is that the results that the new person is able to deliver are consistently far and above what my expectations have been. They've always met and exceeded in every way imaginable. But it's not just me. Remember Lindsay from earlier? She tried it too. Listen to what happened when she took my advice. I was I was in like kind of wrestling with this for a couple hours because it didn't like it didn't feel like the right thing to do because it seemed like a it just seemed it, I just was kind of putting together a checklist. I was like, well, I know there's a bunch of stuff I want her to do, but that's not the same as becoming part of our team. Scheduling out her every move for an entire week just felt really, it, it was really stressful to me because I guess, I think because it didn't, 
it was ultimately a discord in what I've, I guess I knew to be true. And then when you and I talked about it, it was very affirming. The most important thing for her is to have all the stuff that she needs. So like, you know, the Wi-Fi password and the Basecamp password and all that kind of stuff. But also to feel like she's she's making her own way in sort of a, in a structured activity. And it totally bore out because her first week, I wanted some form of like cute client touchback. I had originally thought around Valentine's Day. So we would, you know, like, God, all my ideas were so cheesy because I really like puns. But like, you know, like we would like have little uh, boxes of chocolates and they'd be like, 2015's gonna be sweet with like a bunch of E's. And then we'd deliver them. And then I found out that she's a really good tap dancer, so I was like, and she's going to be dressed as a tap dancing heart. Like, terrible, right? And she came back to us, like, two days later, um, and had and basically said, I know you asked me to do Valentine's Day, and here's all these ideas I have about Valentine's Day, but Brandon Acts of Kindness Day is, like, two days later, and I think because of our agency's brand and the fact that we only really work with nonprofits and social impact businesses, that Random Active Kindness Day is actually much more on brand and much more the way that we think and, and talk and interact with our clients than Valentine's Day is. And like, she's so right. Like it wasn't even anything I had considered because I was so focused on doing it for Valentine's Day that I didn't even think about looking at like what were the other touch points that were more original, right? Would make us stand out more and would be like a, you know, like a really like charming, pleasant surprise for our clients, which were all the things that I was trying to accomplish with this Valentine's Day thing. But it didn't have to be that day. It could be this other thing. To me, it was just proof positive of the idea of letting her kind of make her own way. Not only, A, did she not flounder, which I think was like, you know, looking at it from a very negative point of view. is like, we don't want her to mess up, as opposed to reframing it and being like, we want her to do cool stuff. Like, we want her to, to have as much possibility to do the cool stuff as possible. And literally within two days, she had already, she just proved the fact that kind of giving her those guide points was the right thing to do. And I can't imagine the office not having her in it, which I think is kind of the the ultimate marker of success with hiring a new person is that like, I can't imagine a time that we didn't have her. And that time was only like a week and a half ago. How cool is that? Like I said before, I like to think of this process as a more collaborative approach to onboarding. Of course, this works really well when adding new team members for a co-working space. But as you can tell from Lindsay's example, this kind of thing can make a big difference in the culture of really any kind of business and workplace. And even if you've got an existing team, you can try this the next time you have a new project or initiative winding up. Instead of approaching delegation as, your job is X, try coming from the perspective of inviting other people into the project, like you heard Lindsay describe. If you do end up trying this, I'd love to hear the results, so email me what works. And if it doesn't work, I want to hear about that too. If your story is great either way, maybe we can have you on a show in the future to share your experience. I'm curious, what did you think of this style of episode? What did you like? What could I have done better? I'm really looking for any kind of feedback to see how I can make the show better. You can drop me a note on Twitter, at Alex Hillman, or shoot me an email at alex at indiehall.org. Finally, my favorite review from iTunes this week. This one's from Gila55, and the reason I picked it is because it seems to resonate with the contents of the episode you just listened to. 
Kila55 says, Great advice even outside of a co-working context. I don't run a co-working space, but I do host workshops, and this applies to anyone trying to build a community. Love hearing that, Kila. If you'd like to hear your review read on the show, head over to iTunes or go to coworkingweekly.com slash show, click the blue button to open iTunes, and go over and leave a review. If you include some information about you, your co-working space, company, organization you work with, whatever, I'll mention that in your review as well. That's it for this episode. Have a great week. 